for it to be This is small town music This is big town music He's ahead of his time, you know But he can't use it If only he could prove it Well, tomorrow's just a song away A song away A song away Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Kyle Dotson. And Kyle, today our guest, I'm very excited about this guest today because I don't think I'm wrong in saying that the person sitting opposite me today is probably responsible for more hit songs than anyone that's ever been on the show. I and we've say. had people with hit songs. Yeah. Steve Lukather, Melissa Etheridge, mm-hmm. Susanna Hoffs. Yeah. You know, we've had we've had people, Sammy Hagar, mm-hmm. but the guy across from us, yeah, this is the real deal. This guy's in the uh, in the songwriting hall of fame as of 2011. Uh, when I was uh, in my formative years of, of record buying, every time I picked up an album, I would see certain songwriters all the time. I would see Diane Warren, I would see Holly Knight, I would see Desmond Child, and then I would see uh, a couple of guys. Uh, Tom Kelly and Billy Steinberg constantly all the time. And so those names just stuck in my head. So when I would buy an album, I would be, be, Oh great. These guys wrote songs on this. This is going to be cool. So what we have today or not what we have, but who we have (laughs) across from me is Tom Kelly. Tom, how are you doing today? Uh, shucks. Thanks. uh, (laughs) Nice compliments, but it's true. Every time I would buy an album, I would see Kelly Steinberg and I'm like, Oh, and you know, once I, once I've, liked a couple of your tunes, then I would look for that name all the time and I would get excited. Well, thank you. We had a good run uh, between the early 80s, actually mostly in the 80s, mm-hmm. a little bit in the early 90s. It's but, not a pretty good run, Tom. It's an amazing, uh-huh. like, I don't, I don't want to name the songs yet. I could just, if I just name them, because we're going to play them as we go along. If I just threw these names, you have at least half a dozen that are, I mean, you have more than that, but half a dozen of these songs easily Everyone knows them. And no matter what age you are, you know these songs. You've heard these songs. And that's, that's incredible. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm not sure that's true. Oh, it is. But um, <laughs> I know guy, people that are in their 40s know my songs really well because that's when they were junior high school age right. and so on, in their 80s and so on. Well, I'm, I'm 52, and I, these songs okay. I know and love. Well, good. Thank you very and, much. And you've worked with uh, many artists that are in my wheelhouse. Which is cool. Oh, good. Now, the way that uh, Tom came to be on the show is we, uh, I have a friend, Tony Diamond, who is friends with uh, Tom's son. And every time I would see Tony, he'd be like, do you know Tom Kelly? And I'd go, of Kelly Steinberg? And he'd say, yeah. And I'd go, yes, I know Tom Kelly. He's like, you should get him on your show. i go, okay, let's make that happen. And then, then I would never follow up. And so this, would ha- this happened like three times. And then I saw Tony like two weeks ago. He's like, hey, you know Tom Kelly? I go, of Kelly Steinberg? And he goes, yeah, I go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email you this week and we'll see if, uh, if he'll be willing to, uh, to give us his Sunday morning and come down and chat about his career. Yeah, and, big, big shout out to Tony. Yes, he, thank he put, you, Tony. He put this together, actually. So. So, let's have, so I hope it's fun, because if it's not, then I want you to go and, and yell at Tony. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> now, before we, uh, before, I'm going to start, and I don't know, what was the first song, um, what was the first song that you and you, you had published either you solo or you with anyone else or you with very first yeah uh very first i was um when i first came to la in 1974 Mm -hmm. i put together uh 
a backup group for Dan Fogelberg. The first thing that happened as soon as I got here mm-hmm. is I, I, my friend John Barrick, who was a manager and worked with Irving Azoff and the Eagles and all that bunch, uh, he hooked me up with Dan Fogelberg, who had just finished his Souvenirs album, and he wanted to put together a road band because he was going to do his first full-blown uh, tour other than solo touring. So um, I met him, and I was playing bass for him. I, I play other instruments, but that's I played bass in a lot of the performing bands that I was in. So I met with Dan, and we just in my little house, my little rental, and we went in the back room and plugged in, and he ran through some of his songs, and I sang along and played bass, and then he just said, yeah, you're hired. That's so cool. And, um, and I had a partner uh, in a band I'd been in with in St. Louis. His name was Denny Henson, and he and I kind of formed the nucleus of the vocal backup for mm-hmm. Dan, and then we put together a few other musicians and ended up, uh, I ended up using that as a vehicle for writing my own songs, and, and Henson was a songwriter as well. So we, uh, we called ourselves Fool's Gold, and we got a record deal with Clive nice. Davis on Arista and, and made a couple of albums and never really broke the top mm-hmm. 40. And things, you know, change and move on. We all sure. plot our way through the bands of life. So uh, after that, I uh, started doing a lot of session work and then ended up... Uh, later doing a solo album and working with Toto and, and so on and so forth. You toured with Toto. You told me that oh, before I'm, we started. Yeah, your record. question was the first song published. The first songs published were on the Fool's Gold album, probably okay. 19, uh, 1976 on Arista Records. Cool. And were you from, uh, were you from a, a musical family? Did, yeah, my dad was a, was a band leader. He, had, he started a band when he was a senior in high school in Indiana. Cool. And he uh, always had a day job. Unfortunately, he was a musician at heart. And uh, I think he did that for probably 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember it because I think he stopped doing it about the time yeah. I was born. So I'm, uh, I had no idea about uh, your, your connection with, um, with Dan Fogelberg. I, I'm, I'm a huge Dan Fogelberg fan. Never got to see him live, sadly. But uh, rock and peace, uh, Dan Fogelberg. Yeah, no kidding. Nice guy. The tragedy to lose him so young, but he was, yeah, he was fun. We we were best buds there for a while um, on those early tours, and uh, and uh, you know I he always did a solo set, and then we'd come out and play with him. But um, I mean, in terms of somebody sitting there with a guitar and, mm-hmm. and entertaining you and blowing you away, just a guitar and a voice, he was one of the best. I mean, James Taylor. He was in that category of... And uh, Cat Stevens just uh, is doing a solo acoustic tour right now. I'm sure that he's the same way. Yeah, I suppose. I, I imagine. I, I haven't seen him live, so I couldn't yeah. vouch for that. But yeah, um, <laughs> neither have I. But uh, I have seen James Taylor many times, and yeah, he's just phenomenal. Amazing. Um, well, then I'll just jump into, so we can get a, we can get a, a song playing here. Uh, you worked on REO Speedwagon's biggest album of all time. Yeah, yeah, I was lucky there. High infidelity. Um, I think I had helped them a little bit before that. On they, they called me the song doctor because if they could get stuck on a song, mm. uh, then they'd give up and call me, and I'd come. And we were we both were managed by uh, uh, Frontline Management, which was Irving and Azoff and John Barrick. John Barrick. So yeah. we had, and we both came from Champaign, Illinois. They moved oh, that's out. Cool. Yeah, we all kind of migrated, starting with Irving, and then. And then Ario came out and John Barry came out. I mean, artists, bands, managers. There was a big scene in Champaign, Illinois. 
And we all kind of found our way out here. And just about everybody that I can recall that was doing that went on to be successful. So that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, 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 it is. Uh, but so on this, uh, on High Infidelity, which I, it's, it's such a great album. And it's, it's still amazing to me that, it, uh, that the record label gave them that many chances to, uh, <laughs> to really make it. But you wrote a song, uh, you wrote a song uh, with, uh, you wrote a song with um, Cronin. And then you also wrote a song with Gary. Mm -hmm. And the song we're going to play is uh, the one you wrote with Gary Richrath. Let's hear a little bit of Follow My Heart. So are you, uh, when you're writing a song, are you a lyric guy or are you a music guy? Mainly music. Mainly music. Yeah. So when you and uh, Billy Steinberg write together, he's the lyric guy? Yep. Yep. I mean, we dabble in each other's thing here and there. Mm -hmm. Billy, uh, you know, wrote a couple songs and did uh, a couple hit songs before he met me that he wrote on his own. But they usually were changed and rearranged. And, and uh, But yeah, our, my strength is the melody and chords and, and Billy's strength is definitely lyrics and how did uh, how did you and uh, billy steinberg meet we met in 1981 i've told this story many times so it's it's i remember it so you're tired i don't remember much tired else. Of telling it no i'm not <laughs> i just it's a, uh, i don't remember much else from 1981 mm. but i do remember this because i've repeated it um uh producer keith olson who produced pat benatar and he had worked with uh fleetwood mac and uh had a long list of of hit songs and so on uh i had worked with him singing background mm -hmm. primarily i'd also pitched some songs to him uh that he got recorded but he was working he had just finished producing pat benatar's precious time album and i had my first hit record on that uh album called, yes, did. called fire and ice and Billy actually wrote the title song of the of the album, which wasn't a single, but it was called Precious Time. And um, so we just, we were invitees to uh, Keith Olsen's new beautiful uh, high tech house near yeah. the beach, and uh, and we just somebody introduced us, and we were chatting, and um, uh, a guy named Bob Buziak used to work for Arista. I can't believe I'm remembering these names. But uh <laughs> but the funny thing was about Billy and I talked and you know and it and it kind of he had a lot of passion and and he was kind of like not a city kid. He lived in Palm Springs and he grew up in Palm Springs and Fresno, but he was a huge pop music fan. Okay. And had written kind of punk music for his band called Billy Thermal. Um but like my band Fool's Gold it, it didn't really take off, so we were kind of moving forward, but uh the funny thing was, Billy said, uh, can I play a couple songs? And I said, sure, you know. And then I didn't know if he was going to pop in a cassette, or right. I guess was the format of the day. 
uh, into something and I didn't know how and then he took me downstairs and he had his guitar with him <laughs> so he actually sings his songs right to you yeah he pulled out his acoustic guitar and sat down in a chair and just started you know kind of serenaded you kind of <laughs> I don't know if I call it a serenade but um and I've said this to him too I, I wasn't that knocked out with his his musical songwriting his yeah. composition mm-hmm. although it was very passionate but I was really taken by his uh his gift of using words yeah. and the clever turnarounds that he used and catchphrases, great titles. And um, we just kind of said, I don't know who said it first, but um, probably Billy, because he's much more aggressive than I am. But he, uh, <laughs> he, you know, he said, let's, let's write some songs. So, and at that time I was pretty loose. I, I tried a solo project that mm-hmm. kind of uh, got the plug pulled on it. I'd been in the studio. I was doing session work. I had already done the Toto thing and was uh, toured with them. And that was behind me, although I was still doing studio work with them. Yeah. But uh, so we got together in this little rental that I had in my studio and uh, wrote our first song. And it was just really fun. And it was really easy because I didn't have to write the lyrics. I mean, so many times I'd knocked off a, a song without lyrics and then I'd try to finish it and it would take me like 10 times as long to write the lyrics and they weren't that good. Is it awkward sitting down with a guy that you've, you don't really know and you guys are going to write a song together? Billy writes lyrics first. Okay. In fact, he, he, on occasion he's been assigned to write a lyric to a song that exists and he just, he really gets uptight about it because it's just not the way he does it. And um, you mean put words to music that's already written? I put music to words. Yes, but he, you're saying he gets uptight if the, the music's already right. If okay. he has to sit down with the melody and, a, and somebody gives him and say, "Here, write lyrics to this," it's just it it doesn't fit him. What do you think is uh, what do you think is harder to do? Put words to music that's already written, or put music to words that are already written? Because it always amazes me. We've talked many times on this show about how Elton John and Bernie Taupin do it. Or top and yeah, just they gives do it him, like we do it. Yeah, gives him. Yeah. So he gives you the lyrics. Yeah, he's he would show up with mm-hmm. several pages of typewritten, you know, I would say poems, but they're really. But he does structure them like a like a song. I mean, he, I think when he writes them, he's told me that he kind of just chants a blues kind of form. You know, maybe a couple of verses in chorus. Uh-huh, so cool, but without any music in his head. And um, and I found it just. Uh, you know, it was an awakening. I'd never done that. I would always kind of have a line in my head and I'd write that and then I go da di da di da and then I go, <laughs> I have to go finish it. And it was really the first time that I'd worked strictly with somebody that was lyrically gifted like that. So we, uh, our first song was covered by, by um, Rick Springfield. It's called Just One Kiss. It's the first song we wrote and it was a real simple, like almost three chord kind of thing. And uh, that's from Success Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet. Okay. My, it's my favorite Rick Springfield album. <laughs> and we have that. So I'm going to play that oh, in one goodness. sec. Let's hear it right now and we'll keep sure. going.
wonder, uh, do you know who's doing those great background vocals on that tone? <laughs> Would you have any idea who might yeah. be doing some of those? I did do background vocals for Rick for several years on almost all of his early albums. Um, again, Keith Olsen produced, so yep. there was that connection. This, and, this album is a killer. Yeah. And that song's a killer. Is that the, does that got Jesse's Girl on it, or is that the previous no, one? No, this, uh, this yeah. is the album that followed Working Class Dog, but I think this album's better. I mean, it, Yeah, he's, I think Rick's kind of underrated because he, he's so cute and all the girls liked him and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, but he's really a, t- a talented guy. Really, I, I love him, and I don't love him, ironically, like some people might. I just saw him <laughs> up in Ojai just uh, about a month and a half ago. I mean, I think he's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And he is underrated. I agree. Because yeah. he's a great songwriter, too. He's a good songwriter. Really good. And uh, I met him. Got a call from Keith Olsen. This was before this, before I met Steinberg, obviously. But uh, uh, on Jesse's Girl, I was called down to Sound City Recording Studio, which has become so famous yeah. from, from the film. And um, and uh, I came in, and they were, they were working on this track. And Rick was there, and they played it for me. And it just, uh, Neil Giraldo had just done the uh, electric guitar parts. I think it, I think that, and you were friends with him before or not yet, not yet, uh, not yet, okay. not really. I had, I had it's a Pat Benatar. Says, yeah. Um, but anyway, Rick, Rick was a great guy. And, and, and then I went out and stacked these really high parts. That was my thing. I'd sing those high, nobody, where, where does it go? I can't remember. But, um, yeah, I stacked a couple of high parts on top of what he did. And it just, uh, I mean, I knew immediately when I heard it that it was a hit song. And I mean, I don't know if it was a number one. I mean, Jesse's Girl? Yeah. I think it, I think it I was mean, a it, number it, one. It, it has the criteria to be a number it. one. There must have been, might have been something else that just beat it out. Even but. if it didn't go to number one, everyone knows that song. Yeah, I, I agree. And now uh, let me ask you something about the, um, uh, when Billy gives you the lyrics, or when he would give you the lyrics, would he tell you, uh, I think this is a ballad or I think this is up tempo or was that your decision to decide how you were going to steer that? Yeah. He didn't tell me anything. He just, we'd sit it on the piano stand or mm-hmm. if I had a guitar, we'd whatever. And, um, I would read it first mm-hmm. and then I would kind of think, should this be a, a, is this a ballad? You know, is it, is it a fun song? You know, what, what is it? And, uh, so I would use, I would take it in the direction that it would, that it moved me to go. Um, yeah, that, that's amazing because like you, you take these words and you make it a ballad and then what would that have sounded like if it was a, a, a rock song or mm-hmm. it, it just seems like you took these songs in the correct direction. Well, this whole, the, the, the partnership, as soon as we struck it up and wrote that first song, the, uh, I became so, we became so prolific. I mean, we were writing songs every day. And it would take longer to demo them than it would to write them. But we, I, I never knew I could crank out the kind of volume of songs that we did together because we both had our specialty that came easy. And, um, and so, yeah, I'd put that lyric down. And I, at that time, I just had always had music and melodies in my head. And it just would come out and we'd bang, we'd write a song. And it's kind of it kind of fate that you guys just <laughs> found each other like that. I you know. were in the same circles. But you could be in the same circles with people and, and maybe not meet for years and years and years, or if ever. I mean, one thing I, I got to hand to Billy, um, he's not terribly musical, but he does play guitar. And I told you he'd written, he wrote How Do I Make You for Linda Ronstadt. Yes. But most of his songs were three chords, and it was kind of a blues, kind of a even punk kind of direction. But um, before spending all this time with Billy, my peer group was, was uh, 
the guys in Toto, uh, Bill Champlin, who I did a lot of background singing from Chicago. with. Sons of, yeah, Chicago. He was Sons of Champlin. Uh, Richard Page from Mr. Mister, um, Bobby Kimball. They were pretty sophisticated group of guys. Yeah. And the David Foster worked with those guys. And I, David worked on some stuff that I did too. So my musical mind was so blown away by these other people that, that were like kind of like geniuses musically, complicated music. And uh, but Billy kind of helped me get my feet back on the ground and just play start off writing something really simple with less chords, because I was in a peer group where I really you know I wanted to impress them as much as anybody. Right. So so I had a lot of movement and chord changes in my songs, which were I think they were lovely and they were really sophisticated, but that's not rock and roll pop music. So I, I mean I did learn that from Billy this to kind of keep it keep it simple, and you know less chords, more melody. And, uh, and great lyrics. And, you know, I eventually, you know, I came back and wrote some complicated songs later, but that's, that's how we started. And I was kind of going, oh, yeah, it kind of brought me back to my roots. Um, and we copied a lot of 60s styles, Everly Brothers and Beatles, of course, and, and uh, Motown stuff. So it, it was good to kind of get grounded again. Cool. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, did uh, real quick. Uh, Jesse yeah, go to, go to that went one. to number one. Yep. Let's hear real quick. Let's hear this uh, song from uh, Pat Benatar's Precious Time. This is Fire and Ice. Amazing is that voice. That's a great record, isn't it? It's and, that's and, uh, that's my favorite um, Pat Benatar album. I uh, love that album. She can really sing. She's something. Yeah, she's she's incredible. And after th- I hadn't met her at that point, I actually wrote the song with again Keith Olsen was. I look back, he was in the middle of a lot of my my early development, but he he was producing that album in the midst of it, and he introduced me to Scott Sheets, who was the the rhythm guitar player yes, in the it, band. And um, they kind of had a rule in their band that they didn't want to do any outside material. Somebody in the band had to co-write it. Had to help out. So they weren't even going to listen to anything if I submitted it. So I ended up, you know, Keith said, well, write something with a rhythm guitar player. So I wrote this and then submitted it, and they loved it. And then Patty changed the bridge a little bit. Yeah, she has a songwriting credit on yeah, that also. Yeah, and she did. She, wrote, she rewrote a lot of the lyrics. Um, uh, but then I hadn't met her or Neil at that point. It's funny. Billy had because he'd written Precious Time. And, and they, took, they took Billy's song without a co-writer, though. Right. That's interesting. They did. Huh. I, I guess it was before the rule. I guess so. <laughs> then the rule came down. I think so. But then his album, uh, his song, uh, that's the title of the album. Right. And, and, and in a minute, we're going to talk about that happened to you guys a couple of times, where the song you wrote for people's albums yeah. became the, the title track. Right. All right. That's that, a compliment to Billy's catchphrases. You know, he, he comes up with titles that kind of make you turn your head. Oh yeah. Precious time's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then this next one we're going to, this, this is, this is the first one. If I would have just said this song at the top, when I was introducing you, people would have been like, are you what? Seriously? 
He wrote that song? Mm-hmm. Uh, 1984, Madonna, you and Billy Steinberg wrote Like a Virgin, which doesn't even seem like in the same wheelhouse as other things you guys wrote. Right, right. Before or after. You know, up until that point, what was going on at that time and working with Toto and, you know, Foreigner was big and uh, a lot of high tenor power singers uh, journey. And I was kind of following that trend with my writing. Uh, we talked earlier about who decided whether it was a ballad or an up-tempo song. Like a Virgin, the first time I read it, I was really touched by it. Because the first two lines are, I made it through the wilderness, somehow I made it through. I didn't know how lost I was till I lost you. So that was really, like, really about rebirth of love, you know, after being hurt. And um, so I tried to write a ballad to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then then we kept setting it aside because then I said, well, maybe I'll bring it up to a kind of a medium ballad or medium tempo. But it just sounded stupid. Yeah. And the, like a virgin, uh, what happened was I just was frustrated and we were just, cl- I was just clowning around and I had a Jupiter 8 we had just gotten and was working with. And What's I, a Jupiter 8? It's a, it's a roll and synthesizer. Okay. It's there were, they're very popular today. Now. I didn't know if that was a drug reference. I didn't know what you were talking about, Tom. I had a Jupiter <laughs> it, 8. It was one of the early Roland synthesizers that has a really uh, distinct sound, mm-hmm. you know, the big brass, buzzy uh, analog kind of uh, sound. But um, out of sheer frustration, I just flipped this arpeggiator on. I started playing the bass line to, to uh, the Motown song, Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. Da, 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 you know, Sugar oh, yeah. Pie. So I wasn't even trying to write the song. I just did that and started... You're just goofing around. Goofing around, singing in falsetto. <laughs> and I literally sang a, you know, a verse and a chorus and just hardly even stopped. And we just looked at each other and we just kind of laughed and said, that's it, that's it. And it probably took five minutes to write it. Let's hear it. Like a virgin. <laughs> this is crazy. There it is. one of the most iconic songs of all time that is so uh, locked into this uh, performer. I mean, mm-hmm. it really, I mean, that's... She hates it too. <laughs> she hates to sing the song. She didn't write it. And she, I, well, yeah, but she has to sing it. I know. She, I, mean, I know she'd love to wipe it out of her past, but unfortunately... It's impossible it was, it was to. Biggest hit. I mean, when she, start, when she came on MTV, the music awards in the wedding dress... Oh my and, God. And you guys, were you at those awards? Or were you watching it on TV? I was... Uh, I, I recorded it. That's when we've had v, uh, VCRs in, I, and I set the the recording. Yeah. I was out doing something. I was dinner. I came home. I turned it on and ran it up to where she came on. And I'm like, I, I thought I'd never work in this town again. <laughs> and it was quite the opposite, though. Because that, that song sold almost two million singles. Yeah, it was crazy. But it was so embarrassing, that initial thing that she did. I yeah. mean, to most of us, it was hard to watch. 
But I guess she knew what she was doing. She did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that song sounds so great because that's Bernard Edwards on the bass and Tony Thompson mm-hmm. on uh, on drums. Drums are great. Nile Rodgers produced it. It's just... Uh, they really copied our demo almost exactly. They raised oh, it a half a step. I sang it in falsetto. This was my uh, Motown influence. I was trying to do a Smokey Robinson type of vocal on it, even though I hadn't really written anything like that to that point. So after Like a Virgin... We started writing more uh, R&B, you know, where I'd sing it in falsetto, a little more whimsical and, and uh, bluesy and, yeah. and, and uh, R&B. So what did you think a couple years later when this, uh, when this came out? Somehow I made it through I'm just an intern I still make a mistake or two I was last in my class Barely passed at the institute Now I'm trying to avoid Yeah, I'm trying to avoid I'm out practice surgeon that's the ultimate compliment it's Weird the ultimate Alda. compliment <laughs> Weird so, Al does your so madonna doesn't get the call if he can record this song you guys get the call right? correct correct and you guys immediately said absolutely yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that that's one of weird al's most popular songs too i believe it and could, they, could he, be eat it and and i'm fat but uh but yeah like a surgeon i mean that's <laughs> definitely he he can't uh he can't tour without playing that song that's um so he gets so how does that so you guys so it's the song then you get a songwriting credit obviously we gave like him a third of the other writer's credit uh-huh. on that um for he wrote all, all new lyrics to it and there's some mailbox money for you sure you didn't even know there yeah. there all of a sudden yep. here's here's some extra scratch for you exactly that's what i call it kyle scratch <laughs> Um, but I didn't, I never, didn't ask you this. Are your headphones too loud or are they okay? They're fine. All right. I didn't want to, usually we do a music test, but, um, but we didn't today. I figured since you're always in the, in the studio with wearing the cans, you're used to it. And I am. How is your hearing after all these years? Surprisingly good. I'm at my age. I'm finding that most of my friends around me are losing their hearing more than I am. So that is good. Cause I, we I, used to play it loud. If you, t- if it's too loud, you're too old, Tom. <laughs> Uh, you all, you were another Pat, um, Benatar song, uh, in 85, you co-wrote something called sex as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Let's hear uh, a little bit of this song. I always like that one. Yeah, that was the opening track on uh, Pat's Seven, the Hardway album. And, uh, and they broke the rule here, too, because uh, it was just you and Steinberg wrote this song. Right. Yeah, that, that was a fun one. Yeah, that's a great sounding song. I like that a lot. Thank you. Sex as a weapon. She sure sings it, doesn't she? She does. She's, She's amazing. 
I've seen her in recent years too, and she's still got it yeah, locally. I'm sure. And Neil, I think, is a very underrated guitarist. I mean, he's great. He, he wails. Yep. Just the best. Yeah. And he still looks cool, that son of a bitch. <laughs> still looks really cool. Has a look. <laughs> Slicks that hair back, chain wallet. We became the boot. We had become good friends after after Fire and Ice, and then Billy and I started getting together with him and co-writing this and that. Although this, like, we we just banged it out, and um, I think it was a last minute. They were working on that album, and we kind of played this for them, and they thought they were done with the album. They just said, "We got to do this," and they went in and cut it and nailed it. That's another great compliment. When they're <laughs> we're, now we're done. Oh, damn it! Now we got to okay. <laughs> let's do this one. <laughs> okay, so uh, this brings me to I, I, another iconic song from 1986. This track ends up being uh, the title track on this person's, just like Madonna, it's the title track on this person's uh, sophomore effort. This is a Cyndi Lauper song. I'm not going to say it. Let's just play it. And we'll talk about it then. You with the sad That's another song. Cindy Lauper can't take the stage without singing True Colors. True. If she, if, if they say you, you can only sing two songs, this one's got to be one of them. Yeah, it was big for her. First time I heard that song, I, I didn't like it at all. I mean, I had done a demo of it. The song, this, her, her, her version. version. Okay. Yeah, not the song. Obviously. Okay. Um, I'd done a demo of it singing it and on the grand piano. It was very just straight ahead, almost gospel-y like, and I and with some background singers, you know, uh, like you're singing in church or something. Okay. And I really envisioned it more of a standard classic type of approach. And then I heard her with her kind of baby Yeah, she does have a little thing. Yeah. And, and that real sparse uh, arrangement to it, it, it was like, come on, <laughs> kick it up a little bit. But um, she proved me wrong, and I obviously... Started liking it more as it jumped up the charts. <laughs> well, it went to number Oh, and I forgot to say, Like a Virgin, that went to number yeah. one. And was that your first number one, Like a Virgin? Like a Virgin was first, and then followed up the next year with, with True Colors. So it was like we were riding riding high. It was great. It's so funny because back then with MTV, there was always a, there was a, that fake rivalry, like Madonna against Cyndi Lauper. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember. And it, was like, sure. it wasn't, didn't, wasn't really there at all. Right. No, I mean, at the time when they first both came out, I mean, honestly, and Billy would uh, agree, we both thought Cindy was a stronger artist, had a stronger voice. We thought that she'd go farther. Yeah. But I mean, Madonna had the, she had the, the brains, I think, to know what, know what people like. Yeah. She, she was, uh, even on, on Wikipedia, Madonna is listed as, enter, as an entertainer. <laughs> you know what I mean? She knows how to market. Yeah. So, um. I want to put in a plug though for Justin Timberlake. True Colors is um, in the Trolls movie. In the new Trolls movie, we're yeah. gonna play. That's gonna be our playout song. But you can talk oh, about cool. it right now. Uh, yeah, I, I heard the version, and it's really interesting because it's we go verse, 
chorus, verse, chorus, and then kind of instrumental break mm-hmm. and chorus out. They go verse, verse, chorus, chorus. I mean, they really mixed it up. Yeah. But I almost feel like, because most of us have heard that song, it's interesting to hear. I think you need to be familiar with it in order to appreciate the new arrangement. And they, he sings it with Anna Kendrick. Yeah. they do voices in the Yeah, and it's really, and it's really sweet. And, and uh, I got goosebumps when I heard it. I thought it re- really comes across great. So Now, when something like this is happening, do you, are you contacted in advance or is it just... Does it just happen, and then after the fact, you find out, oh, someone's going to... Like, Phil Collins does a version of True Colors also. Yeah, I mean, in 1992, I sold the the bulk of my catalog to uh, to Sony ATV, the publishing, mm-hmm. and we still get the writers, and so... Uh, and uh, so Sony ATV, they have the right to license that without having us agree or anything. Okay. But they keep us in touch. I, I had heard something about it. There's always something bubbling. I didn't, you know, I, I oh, there's a, there's a cartoon coming out with true colors. Okay. <laughs> and then, but then, uh, I don't know when the movie's coming out soon. I gather, huh? I think soon. Yeah. yeah. I, I've seen the billboards around. I saw the trailer and, uh, I guess true colors makes sense because it's, uh, the trolls have different color hair and all that kind of hey, hey. crazy stuff. So <laughs> it'll be nice to see, uh, to hear that, uh, coming through some uh, speakers in a theater for sure. Absolutely. Um, you guys, uh, you and Billy wrote a song uh, with Susanna Hoffs that was on uh, Belinda Carlisle's mm-hmm. solo. We wrote a bunch solo. of songs with Susanna. Remind me though. <laughs> this is I Need a Disguise. Oh yeah. Let's hear a little bit of I Need a Disguise. Forgot about that one. when I picked up this album and I was looking at the songwriting credits and the first thing that jumped out at me was, oh my God, a bangle wrote a song for a go-go. That's yeah. all I was thinking. <laughs> With fun. my guys, Kelly Steinberg. <laughs> That's a fun tune. I haven't heard that song in many moons. I bet. This next one I bet you haven't heard in a long time either. And I, I, Did you ever think that you would be writing a song about serial killer Jason Voorhees? I uh, know. <laughs> how did the, how did this happen? This is you wrote a song with Alice Cooper and Kane Roberts. Oh God, okay. Uh, for Alice's uh, Constrictor album, this was kind of like his comeback. This was he's he was putting the the Alice makeup back on mm-hmm. after a string of underperforming albums, which I think are underrated. I think there's some good stuff on those. But this was says he was on a new label, MCA, and the song is going to be in Friday the Thirteenth, I think, part six. This is He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask. Let's listen to it first. <laughs> You're with your baby And you're parked alone On a summer night You're deep in love But you're deeper in the woods You think you're doing all right Did you hear that voice? Did you see that face? Or was it just a dream? This can't be
he also co-wrote Trick Bag on that album. I don't even I, remember that one. Oh, I love Trick Bag. I don't think I have, Is that, right? don't have that queued up there. That's a great tune. <laughs> By so, the way, that was a Jupiter 8 all over that the, the keyboard, record, yeah. yeah. Uh, how, does that, how does that come about? You get to, to work with Alice Cooper. You know, the best thing that came out of that, we played golf together because he's a big golfer and I love to play golf. So we played golf every day for a few days and then we'd go over to my house, which was near the country club. Who's and a better golfer? I think he is a little bit. I, I've been up and down over my life. But, okay. But uh, um, yeah, and the, he, has, he has a guitar player, a big, strong guy. Yeah, Kane, Kane, Kane Roberts. Kane Roberts. Yeah. Kane, you don't take him golfing. He just bends the clubs <laughs> no, and throws them. He's a huge guy. But Alice is a great guy. It's so funny, his, his image and all that he's appeared to be in the past, but he's just the sweetest guy, really good heart. So that was a fun, that was a fun experience. Yeah, oh yeah. And so it, it's, just, it's just wild that you, you write True Colors and then, and then you write a song about uh, for, for Friday the 13th, part six. I, I once sang backgrounds. You want to talk about, you know, polarized activities. I do want to talk about <laughs> I, this. I, I sang backgrounds on an Amy Grant, you know, Christian sure. album in the afternoon. And that night I sang on Girls, Girls, Girls by Motley Crue. <laughs> <laughs> now, were you, uh, were you, were you, when you work with a band like Motley Crue, are you, uh, are they just, well, they were, they were, I think that was, that was the album where they were getting, uh, they were all clean and sober, I think for it could Dr. be. Yeah. Feel and I'm not sure if that's the song I sang that night. Yeah. I thought I'd throw that one out there cause it was funny, but, um, Tom Worman produced, uh, yeah. Motley. Crue. Oh yeah. I'm wrong. It's, I'm not, it wasn't, that wasn't uh, on Dr. Feelgood. That was on the girls. girls you know girls a lot. Song. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know too I, much. I sang on all Tom Worman's records. I mean, uh, from cheap trick to Motley Crue and poison and twisted sister. So I did a lot of Dark, evil background singing. People that listen to the show know and are sick of me talking about it, but Cheap Trick's my favorite band. I love them, yeah. We're going to move right, we're going to move into a Cheap Trick oriented thing in a minute. I'm going to uh, talk to you about this. There's a TV series that comes on uh, CBS in uh, October of 84. It's called Dreams. And uh, I think it's about, uh, it's a fictional rock band show with John Stamos and Jamie Gertz. And uh, you and uh, Billy wrote, uh, uh, did you write a lot of the music or all the music for the show? We didn't write all the music, but we definitely were, we were kind of assigned if we wanted to do this. And Bruce Botnick uh, produced it and they, they, they set up a recording studio in a rundown, evacuated junior high school in, in the valley. All right, I mean, it was fun. literally a, a junior high campus that was like ghosts. It was all broken down. I don't know how that happened, but we... Uh, but yeah, but we we worked on and off, you know, pretty intensely just for a short amount of time because the, the show didn't didn't last very long. One month. Mm-hmm. They did. It said they did twelve episodes, but it only aired uh, from October third to October thirty first. Mm-hmm. But we were, you know, I guess I was probably thirty five years old, and and these kids were eighteen, nineteen. John Stamos and Jimmy Gertz, and they were like, you know, they were just like little dogs with their ta- their, their tails wagging. Yeah, and you know, we were and. And they looked up to us, and and we, you know, I tried to help them vocally and help put stuff together, and sang some backgrounds, and uh, but unfortunately, it was one of those that yeah. bit the dust. But there's the song, uh, a song on the uh, on the soundtrack, and probably in the show, I'm sure, is uh, is a song that then Cheap Trick covered in 1986, a song called "Kiss Me Red," and this is off an album called "The Doctor," which Cheap Trick fans. <laughs> 
don't think this is the best cheap trick album there is, <laughs> but, uh, but this, uh, if I have to pick just a handful of songs that I do like, I always did like this one. So let's hear uh, a little kiss me red. Right on. That's a fun song. That is a fun song. We had we had fun writing that and recording it, and and everybody always loved it. I, you know, it never quite happened, but it no. was it was a fun song. What does "Kiss Me Red" mean? Kiss I, me red. Ask Billy. Maybe lipstick. Maybe lipstick. <laughs> All right. Um, we're gonna move on, uh, Tom, to another one of the the big, big, big iconic songs in the in the Kelly Steinberg canon. This is uh, "Heart." Had a big comeback album, self-titled in 1986. It's time to do the follow-up. They got uh, Ron Nevinson's producing again. The album's called Bad Animals. And uh, this song is is just gigantic. Mm-hmm. I hear the ticking of the clock. I'm lying here, the room's pitch dark. Is this the third number one for you guys? Mm, yes. Yeah. Amazing. Is. And I sang the high part on that, Amen. along with Nancy Wilson. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that song. I, I actually well, wrote... Tom, you must be an amazing vocalist, too, because to sing background vocals with uh, with Ann Wilson, that's got to be, inti- be intimidating for me, because I can't sing at all. Well... <laughs> Uh, it wasn't really. <laughs> it's just it what I did. It's just what you did. <laughs> yeah. And we became good friends. And, uh, but uh, it's funny. I wrote that song early in my uh, relationship with Billy. Uh, it had been around for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I wrote the music to that sitting in a condo in Mission Hills, outside of Palm Springs, Mission Hills Country Club. Billy was still, he's still working his day gig. He worked for his dad uh, as uh, in a, table grape farming business they had like that couple thousand acres of table grapes and billy would get up at three or four in the morning in his pickup truck and drive out and he's very he knows all about growing grapes and he'd go out and and kind of 
direct all the pickers and, and check on everybody. And, and it was like a foreman or something. This was his skill in case he needed something to that's fall what, back on. That's what his dad brought him up to do was take over the, the grape ranch. But, um, for when his silly songwriting stuff petered out, but he would get up so early and I always slept late because I was a musician and Billy had always, you know, <laughs> it was up at four or five in the morning. So he'd go put in a day's work and come home like at two or three o'clock. And, uh, I, they had this luxury condo down there. His dad was successful, and that's where I stayed when I'd go down there. And um, I remember he had this song alone, and I and I writing that verse and, and getting that whole structure thing together and um, just waiting for him to come back after he was done with his grapes and, you know, and wash his hands and sit down, and I played it for him. And then we went on to finish it. So here's, I guess here's a, here's a good question for people that, uh, the listeners and someone like me who doesn't know. So you have a song like alone, then how does it get into the hands of heart? Who, who's the conduit to get these songs that you're writing to these big artists? Yeah. Here's where I was really, really lucky because a lot of people ask me, how do I get my song, you know, upcoming writers, how did you do it? How do you do it? I had been kicking around L.A. since 1974, and as I told you, I started singing background sessions on in the late 70s with Keith Olsen and John, uh, uh, I can't remember, a couple of people over at Epic, John Boylan. And um, so I, I, I'm not a great singer, but I'm a really good background singer, and I can sing really high. So I was always the high guy, yeah. hitting the, either hitting the high falsetto or the high full voice thing. And everybody wanted that on their records because it really pierces through. So that was my thing. I was just gifted with that. And um, I knew all the producers in town because I was going in and out uh, doing session work with Bill Champlin and Richard Page, Bobby Kimball, a guy named Tommy Funderburk was a great singer. And uh, we worked all the time. And if I wanted to slip a producer a song i'd just make a copy of it and hand it to and him hand it to him wow. yeah and we you know we had it working together is it's always an intimate thing everybody respects each other so um in the case of alone i think i did uh just hand a cassette to to um ron nevison ron nevison yeah who was working with her i was doing backgrounds on some other project with him i don't even think it was uh heart but was I, it Survivor? I, uh, could have been. Okay. Because he been. produced the Vital Signs and the uh, When Seconds Count albums. Did I sing on that? Uh, I would have to look, <laughs> look up Survivor. It's okay. But, I don't know. No, we'll let him You're look. digging deeper. But I just know because I remember, you know, Ron Nevison had that, uh, you know, that was, the, that was the time of the big, bombastic yep. 80s production. Yep. And he was, he was great at that. So yep. everyone was, was, you know, sure. wanted to work with him. That was the 80s sound. Yeah. So, and then you guys also wrote a, another song off the Bad Animals album called I Want You So Bad, which is also a great tune. I love that song. Yeah. yeah. So You were backing vocals on uh, When Seconds Count. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> half of what I did, let me tell you. And the, you, said, you mentioned this guy, Tommy Funder... Funderburk. Yeah, I, I used to see his name all the time, too, yeah. because that name just, you can't, for, you're like, I've never seen that last name before right. in my life. Great guy, great singer. He Like me, he sang high stuff a lot. And you, would you guys sing background vocals together a lot of times? We did. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. He sang for uh, with uh, David Foster and a lot of projects that he had, and, and as I did, on and off, and... Uh, we would just cross paths. We'd see each other all the time. The first time I heard Alone, I think it was on MTV. It was like a world premiere video from Heart coming up, you know, and I was like, and as soon as I heard it, it's, it you were just like, well, that's, that's a hit song without a doubt. 
I don't know anything. And I'm like, well, that's, yeah, that's going to go to number one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, crazy. I mean, again, that's another song. Anna and Nancy still sing that sure. to this day. And uh, I love how they do it now. It doesn't have that, you know, they, do it acoustically maybe or something. They do do it acoustically. It's just, it's just great. And, and Anne still can hit that note. Yeah. She's amazing. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, yeah, that's a good one. That one, well, everybody came together at the right time and place on that one. Now this one, I didn't, um, I didn't, uh, I didn't know that you wrote this one. It's uh, you have a song here that Roger Daltrey recorded oh, right. a song called lover storm. Wrote that with Gary Usher. Yes. And who is Gary Usher? Gary Usher was a friend of mine. He passed away in 1991 of cancer, uh, but he goes way back. He, Gary Usher discovered it was brought to Collinsville, Illinois, to hear the band that I was singing in with at the time, a big vocal band called The Guild. It's the last band I, I kicked all over the Midwest playing in bands, but it was the last group I played with before I moved to L.A. And he worked with The Guild. Nothing happened with it, really to say, but, uh, but I met Gary Usher and, um, Gary wrote 409 with Brian Wilson and he wrote, wow. co-wrote in my room. I'm yeah. In my room, uh, with Brian Wilson. He, he, he was in Hawthorne, California. If you go at those early beach boy biography days and he was a neighbor or something and he got in that little circle and, uh, co-wrote a bunch of those early car songs and, and surfing songs that is amazing. And then somehow he drifted out of that picture and he got into, uh, I think he was president of RCA Records for a while. And he, he kicked around doing all kinds of stuff. But he and I uh, wrote a few songs in the 80s before he got sick and so on. And uh, but yeah, we wrote a song called Lover's Storm. Uh, yeah, Roger Dalton. I got a Roger Dalton cover. What do you know? Yeah, that's him. And this is when this is when Roger. This was a, an album called uh, "Can't Wait to See the Movie." I think Roger was trying to have a a poppy, mm-hmm. a, you know, album out, and uh, and this is one of the tracks on it. And uh, I like this song a lot. Let's hear a little bit of uh, "Lover Storm." I just saw The Who in Santa Barbara this past Thursday night. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic show. I love them. At the end of the show, Pete said, he said, you know that I'm having a f- good time if my face doesn't look like I'm having a good time. <laughs> he, said, he said, if I'm up here joking and laughing, and, and he goes, I'm having a shit time. He goes, but tonight I just truly, truly loved the show tonight. He's amazing. Yeah, they were they were both great. It was, a, it was really, a, I love The Who. I love The Who too. I go see them as much as, and I think this is going to be, I think they're wrapping it up as far as touring. So I had to go one more time, but great show. But yeah, that to have a, a Roger Daltrey sing, sing a song you co-wrote is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, then he, you work with uh, Ario Speedwagon a couple more times, uh, in my dreams, mm-hmm. pretty successful song for them. And then you wrote a song on, um, Patty Smythe from Scandal. Mm-hmm. That that the river cried. The river cried. There was a big hoopla over that song. What we had written, we had done a demo of it, and I, it was one of our kind of quote Roy Orbison 
type songs. And I kind of sang it in a blustery, operatic voice, real dramatic song with a big high note at the end on our, on our demo. And um, Clive Davis got a copy of it. He loved it. He wanted it for um, air supply. Cindy Lauper wanted it. Um, so there's a bidding war for this song. It was a fight to who would release it first, and I think Air Supply got it out. Uh, you know, Clive gets what he wants, and he beat. So Cindy had to give up on it, and I, I, nothing happened with it. I but, didn't know Air Supply did a version of this. Uh, song. You know, I'm not even sure if it was ever released. Okay, but but that's what was going on at the time, and everybody loved that song. It, and it's a song that's one of the ones that are. If you ask Billy or me, which what song got away that wasn't a hit, it would probably be a River Cried. But Patti Smith did a really amazing version of it. It's really kind of esoteric and and uh, and groovy. I guess you're going to play it. Yeah, we're going to play it. Let's, Let's hear it. a little bit of uh, the River Cried. Yeah, Cindy Lauper must have been bummed because this was like her team worked on this album. Rick Chertoff and mm-hmm. William Whitman and the the guys from the Hooters were on this album. So, yeah, she was probably like, uh. yeah. That, that I got to tip my um, hat to Billy Steinberg for the lyric on that. I mean, that's just that gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. This is uh, I really like this album, uh, the um, Never Enough album a lot. It's uh, it's whenever I pull it out and take it with me in the car, I'm just like, I'm like, man, this is such a great album. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that. She, That's a good she record. Kinda didn't, then she kind of disappeared, I think, on her yeah. own. Yeah, uh, she was. She not was, because we didn't want her. She just was, I guess, didn't want to do it anymore. I think she kind of backed out of the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's married to John McEnroe, Kyle. That's for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kyle, you're younger. You're younger than me. So, uh, you yeah. know, these these songs we're playing, you know these songs. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of them. Come on. You know The River Cried? <laughs> I don't know, know that, that one. one. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, a good portion of them. Now, you. Uh, what do I want to move? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Whitney Houston. Mm. Whitney Houston. You, you, you guys seem to jump in on these sophomore albums and just uh, kick it up a notch. Yeah, we had a we had a good run there. So let's hear uh, this Whitney Houston song. So emotional and rock and peace, uh, Whitney Houston.
That song was, uh, the inspiration for that song came from Prince. And I can hear that. Yeah, um, definitely. I sang it in a high falsetto, copying Prince's style. And it was more up-tempo than Whitney did it. And a little more kind of nervous Prince style, as opposed to kind of smooth the way Whitney sang it. Mm-hmm. So Clive, as he always did, if we had a song that he he would come to L.A., he'd stay in these bungalows at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and he'd take meetings all day. So I had a one, one o'clock or something. And usually Billy and I went together. For some reason, I remember Billy was out of town. I, so I went to Clive's bungalow, and he's coming to Tom, you know, and he's, he's going to play me so emotional. And at that time, I think it was... The third single from that album. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, there were big. Uh, so the album was now yet, and and he was going. I think well, Tom. I really think this is going to be a number one hit. You know, da da da. And then he played it for me, and it was slower than I had written it, and a little more relaxed or something. And I didn't like it at all. <laughs> I like true colors. <laughs> so you know, you write it one way, and then you if they change it, and then you think, oh, it's no good. But once again, I was proven wrong, thankfully. Number one. Number one. Sorry. That's your fourth number one. Fourth in a row, yeah. Uh, yeah, the other song, the other, you know, big songs on that album, I Want to Dance with Somebody, mm-hmm. and Didn't We Almost Have It All. I mean, that's a, a, a gigantic album for Huge. Him. Just, yeah. uh, just amazing. Um, and what do we got? What do I got in the canon next? Oh, yeah, we got some, the, again, amazing songs you wrote with Susanna Hoffs. Mm. Uh, this is my favorite Bangwas album. I love everything. And uh, when she was on the show, we talked about both of these songs. But this this song, this song is a, I love this song so much. Let's hear "In Your Room." How do you guys get hooked up with uh, Susanna Hoffs to write together? Mm, let me remember going back to my <laughs> dark past. Um, I don't really remember to tell you the truth. Um, we have a lot in common, mm-hmm. uh, the three of us, Billy and, and Susanna and I, that we all, she's a lot younger than us, but uh, um, I guess not a lot. But she is younger than us. But she worshipped the the British invasion, the Beatles, and and then the Birds, and and the California, the Mamas and Papas, that whole '60s thing. Well, this song has that psychedelic oh, yeah. vibe to it, definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's what we were going for. And uh, so once we did get together, we always had fun. We we all had the same taste. So you're writing with somebody, and they you write some. You know, if you're not, if you don't all kind of share the same vision, the type of music. And it, it's awkward. But with her, it was always fun. And she's sweet and, and uh, funny. We clowned and had a lot of, a lot of good times writing. She's, she's still cute as a button, too. Yeah, to this day, she still looks really cute. Um, uh, I hope that didn't sound Donald Trumpish. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> she rolls her eyes really good, too. Uh, did, uh, have you, did, were you guys ever hooked up with someone you were supposed to write with and it just did not go well or it didn't work out? Yes. <laughs> We're going to leave it at that. <laughs> I think maybe, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, do you guys have songs or you, that, uh, that you thought something big was going to happen and then they, they never even got recorded? Are there any of those in the... Uh... 
No, I mean there are plenty that did get recorded that didn't happen. That right. We, that we like the river cried and and so on that that we thought we're going to do better. But uh, 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 if you gave me about an hour to think about that, I might come then up with something. Come up with but I, I think we'll be off the air by then. Well, let's <laughs> listen to uh, let's listen to uh, the next, just an iconic, huge single for the Bengals. Let's hear uh, "Eternal Flame." say that in your room goes to number five mm-hmm. and then which is uh, amazing this goes to number one yeah it was uh it was our fifth number one in five yeah. years so we were just riding high but i love that song i gotta tell you that's one of my very favorites just in terms of of the melody and so i think it might be one of the best melodies i've written and um and i told you about the songs that i wasn't happy with once i heard the artist's versions right this is one i was knocked out with because we it was actually very true to our demo, but what but what uh, what they did with it in the studio is what really makes it work as a hit single to me, and that is they take that last refrain and they take it out big. Yeah, you know, the, the close your eyes, give me your hand, just repeating it and building it with more orchestration and vocals and stuff. When we demoed it, we just ended it. We did it, an eternal flame, boom, over. <laughs> but they do this thing where the whole choir comes in mm-hmm. and, and it gets huge. And boy, when I heard that, I thought that this, I thought it was a number one song. Yeah. I love the bangers. I love, I love the, the, sixties the vibe that they have mm-hmm. on all their albums. And, uh, Suzanne has been on the show and Debbie's been on the show too. And I just, uh, I think they're fantastic. They're great. Love yeah, them all. They're yeah. really great. Moving on. What else? And see, I told you, I said at least half a dozen, we've already got five. Those, there's no question that everyone knows those five number one songs without a doubt. I hope so. And I hope people are are finding uh, other songs as we're, uh, as we're moving through here. This one is a song that um, I have three versions of it, but we're going to hear We're going to hear Cindy's version. uh, And I love this song too. Uh, I drove all night. This is one of my favorites. Such a great song. Yeah. Should have called you first, but I was dying to get to you. Let's hear a version by John Waite. Have you ever heard his version? No, I don't think I have. Yeah, 
of course, Roy Orbison. Roy. The big O. Good taste your sweet kisses, your arms open wide. This fever for you was just burning me up inside. I drove all night to get to you. Is that all right? I drove all night, crept in your room. That came out after he passed. Correct. And I think that was the uh, the single that they released off of his, um, what was the album called? King of Hearts album. Mm-hmm. That has to be a, a Jeff Lynne had to have produced that. Oh, yeah, he did. Because you can just, it has that Wilburys well, you know, sound. We wrote that. So, by the way, you, you didn't get the Celine Dion version. Oh, I did not get the Celine <laughs> Dion version. I didn't know about the John Waite version. Oh, my gosh. But that was one of the, uh, you know, one of the big thrills of my life uh, was to meet Roy and have him sing that song. Uh, it didn't come out until after he died because all it was was uh, he came to my house and sang on the demo. I sang the demo and I did my Roy Orbison impersonation, which is pretty good. I'm not going to do it right now. I won't. I won't ask you to. But but we wrote that song really as a tribute to Roy Orbison, not really thinking that he'd end up singing it. And because um, just that with the way that it tastes, Josie kisses. I mean, it sounds well, like see that was a little. I could hear bit. it there. I could hear it. <laughs> I mean, it's such a Roy Orbison type of progression. And and uh, dramatic ascent up to his high notes and so on, that uh, we just always loved that song. And our demo was amazing, and we played it for Cindy Lauper. I think no, that's not true. Roy came to my house. He was trying, you know, doing some stuff, and I think the Traveling Wilburys had kind of brought his name back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was going on right then. So they were trying to put together a new Royal Orbison album. And he came to my house, and it was just the sweetest guy. Billy and I were like little kids with our eyes wide open. Because I, mean, I used to dance in sixth grade, cheek to cheek, with a girl over and over to um, Crying by Roy Orbison. Oh, man, you know, I, I mean, he, and he was just my, he, as, as anybody from my generation that's into music, everybody loved Roy Orbison. He was, he, nobody like him. He's a one of a kind. But to have him come to the house, and, and I played him the song with my vocal, and he learned it quickly, and then, and then, I recorded his voice, and um, and then nothing was happening with him. You know, we were calling his people. No, well, he doesn't. It's not put together yet. In the meantime, Billy and I went to New York to meet Cindy for the first time. She had had recorded True Colors, right? But you never met her. We never met her, and she wanted to work with us because she figured we had the the Midas touch, which I don't get, I don't know if we did. And you wrote five, you co-wrote five songs then on the A yeah. Night to Remember album. And it didn't do very well, truthfully. That was kind of a big disappointment. That is a, bu- I, that is a bummer for me as a fan, too, because I think that album is far superior to the True Colors album. It, and again, that's actually my favorite Cyndi Lauper album. Well, that's good to hear. It's good to hear. Who knows why? But, I know. It was just, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if it was too long between albums, maybe, 86 to 89. I don't know what, it, I mm-hmm. never know, you never know what the musical climate change or what happens but but uh we i remember playing her that song uh at her place in new york and she flipped for it and she just said i gotta have that song and we were kind of well but we you know roy orbison sang it yeah you know and he says he's gonna do it you know i want it (laughs) i want it i want it so she was very insistent and uh, you know so since there wasn't really anything coming from roy's 
place. You let her have it. We let her have it. And it went to number six. Yeah, it was, I thought it was a top five or something like yeah. that. And, um, and then maybe a year later, what, I don't remember the, what, when it was that Roy died. And um, we got wind that they were trying to put together another record. So we got in touch with uh, whoever it was who hooked us up with Jeff Lynn. And we met him in the studio and played him, brought down, I think it was on a 16 track TAC. So was, the vocal that we heard Roy Orbison saying, you recorded that yourself. Correct. It was recorded in my den, in my little home studio. Wow. So they just took the demo, the 16 track demo that, that I did, uh, and just replaced everything around his voice. And uh, that is amazing. And it, it sounds good. I mean, it sounds like a real Roy Orbison song, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. I know. Did you get a production credit on that album? <laughs> no, no, we didn't. But That's uh, fantastic! I, I, it was a much bigger hit in in England and Europe, I believe. I heard that it was, did really well mm-hmm. over there. For some reason, American public's a little fickle; they don't yeah. like to go back. It's great, though. It's that's a great song. I'm very proud of that, and and to have my childhood hero sing my song was was really a high point in my career. Let's uh, let's hear uh, another song off the Night to Remember album that you guys uh, co-wrote. Let's hear a little Unconditional Love. Susanna Hoffs records that song too on her, uh, on her, um, when you're a boy, her first solo album. Right. Um, the funny thing is unconditional love. Susanna heard that song mm-hmm. after it came out. This is long before she was, she was still with the Bangles. Yes. And, um, she said, I love that song. I want to do that song, but she just did it. And so we said, well, let's write another song like that. And that's what eternal flame was. I mean, it's got the same wow. tempo. It's got similar chord changes. It was like, you know, like the old writers used to write a follow-up that sounded like the first hit. That was our follow-up. Eternal Flame was the follow-up to Unconditional Love. Oh, that's, see, that's, that's <laughs> stuff we're learning. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and then you guys, when she did have a solo album out, you guys co-wrote uh, My Side of the Bed. Mm-hmm. Let's hear My Side of the Bed. That's a song. I, I thought that was going to be a hit. It should have been a hit. And um, I, I love the melody to that. I was real proud of that. And I just thought it was a cool crossover pop kind of country feel. It's one of those things where you say, if that was a bangle song, because right. you never know, you know, everyone always says, you know, when you know Roger Waters leaves Pink Floyd and he's playing theaters and Pink Floyd's still playing stadiums because that name mm-hmm. holds so much value. So Yeah, I, th- I think it would have been a hit for the bangles. Um now the next, this next song is, uh, I find this to be the signature song of this band. And this band had been around for a while. It's a song for the Divinals. Oh yeah. 
And Kyle, play this song. You know this song, Kyle. keep recording then when he comes in we'll just uh, pick up from there yeah. trying to, I think that went to number one also find it here peak position ooh number four son of a bitch how long have we been recording probably like an hour 15 okay we're going to wrap it up soon. I want to get through the pretender stuff. and I also want to ask him about uh, writing for women because all these songs, most of these songs are recorded by ladies. Flush. That was a flush from uh, Tom Kelly. Tom Kelly's being... Do you like this episode? So we just faded uh, the uh, I touch myself down, so I'll just start talking to you. We're almost done, Tom. I hope you're having fun. Uh, I'm fine, yeah. Okay, so again, I touch myself. Uh, that's, you know, that's like the number one divinal song, in my opinion. When, so- when someone says the divinals, everyone knows. Yeah, yeah. I touch myself. It's gigantic on MTV. It was so much fun to write that song. And I really love the music for that song, uh, even though the lyric is what really grabs everybody. But uh, we demoed it and had a great demo. And um, when they recorded it, once again, you know, I, I didn't like it as much as the demo. And I wanted, and I think Billy actually went in the studio with them and tried to add a little something to it. Um, but it came out great. It, it, uh, I had piano in it. I had a grand piano just kind of wailing away in there. And it, they, didn't, they don't have pianos on their records very often, so <laughs> they didn't like that idea. But, um, but uh, that was really fun. That was really a fun song, and it really got a lot of attention, to say the least. Yes, it did. It yeah. did. And that was, you co-wrote that. It was you and Billy and Christina Amphlett. Is that amazing? Uh-huh. And she's a rock and peace to Christina also. Yeah, yep. And the, she's uh, not with us. And Mark, uh, how do you, I don't know. McEntee? McEntee. Yeah. They, they were the, they were the, they the were divinals. the divinals. Yeah. And he was a great, he's really a great stylist. Good guy. We always had fun. We wrote several songs with him over the years. And, and, uh, and that was a, that was a top five. Mm-hmm. They went to number four. Um, the next song, before we move into uh, the Pretenders, the next two songs we're going to play. These are these. This is my favorite male vocalist. I love Robin Zander, and I know you and you oh. and Billy wrote uh, a song with uh, Rick and Robin for Robin's solo album. And uh, Stevie Nicks sings on this song, and this is a song called "Secret." Baby, come close to no one. Whisper, whisper in your ear I wanna tell you 
this is uh, this is such a great song. This is a great album. I mean, this is I think one of the an album. If you can find it, you should pick it up because it's. I mean, it's got Harry Nilsson's song on it, and it's got uh, Christina from the Divinals sings a song with Robin, and it's just so good. It's I, good, and that yeah. song is great. I mean, I don't think that was even released as a single, but it was Robin's idea to. He he, she said, "I like this idea of whispering a song." You know, the whole thing, I keep it secret, you know, da, 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 da. So we wrote the whole thing as though we were kind of like whispering in someone's ear. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Robin's voice is just so He's amazing great. still. Mm-hmm. You keep using that instrument, I guess uh, it stays strong. Um, I, I know what I wanted to ask you is, uh, now a lot of the songs you guys have written, uh, majority of them are, are sung by women. Absolutely, yeah. And when you were when you were writing songs did did you ever think that uh did you think guys were going to sing or did you think girls were going to sing or didn't you care i didn't care um i wish more men would have sung them but you know i've been asked this question before and billy and i have have talked about it before Mm why Uh, a couple of reasons i think um one is during that era most of the top male singers whether they're in bands or solo mm-hmm. wrote their own songs i if you look around at michael jackson and yeah. bruce springsteen we've rick springfield everyone you know rick crow wrote with um but uh there just weren't that many men that were doing uh outside material right and there were you know like uh, kenny loggins was writing his right. own stuff all those Absolutely. kind of guys yep and that is one reason and i think the other reason is that um Billy's lyrics kind of lean toward uh, the female point of view. I just, I, he's in touch with his feminine side or something, but the he's, way he's sensitive, he is, and he and he really expresses a lot of in, intense emotions in a way that maybe some guys might not be as comfortable with it as as women. But uh, so I, I think his lyrics lean that way, and I think that that there weren't very many men to do it. Yeah, so. Okay, that's good. That's that my makes theory. sense. Okay, but now we're going to move into your work with uh, with uh, Chrissy Hines' Pretenders, and the first song I'm going to play isn't really a sensitive, touchy feely song at all. <laughs> this song, this song just kicks ass. That's all I'm going to say. It kicks ass. It's from Last of the Independents, and let's hear "Night in My Veins." This uh, this was like a big comeback album for them. It was. I love that song too, and it's that, like a dirty, gritty. I love it. We had, you know, that was the beginning of a long relationship. We wrote a lot of songs with Chrissy, and um, and like you said, it didn't sound like a, a, a feminine lyric. No, no, it doesn't. You know, I love. Because I would work tough. When I worked with with Chrissy and Billy and me, the difference was that she would really work on the lyrics really hard with Billy. Okay, and. And Billy, before I even, I'd usually be in the room or downstairs eating a sandwich or something, and they'd be woodshedding. But Billy would usually write something in his style that was a little bit more sensitive and touchy-feely. And then she'd get, she'd t- she'd look at it and kind of cross out lines, <laughs> and and she'd flip the gender. So she writes really masculine yeah, she does. lyrics, and he writes really 
kind of, if you will, you know, more sensitive feminine lyrics. And so they just, the two of them, between the two of them, we came up with songs that were just killer because Billy had that sensibility and she had that edge and, and, and those clever, dark, really rock and roll mm-hmm. deep stuff. I mean, she's the real deal. She's, she's an amazing artist. And so uh, and they'd put together a lyric. It, it had everything. Yeah, and you know, no, and and uh, no one sings like Chrissy Hind. She's a yeah, I she's mean, a one. That of voice is so unique sounding. Yeah. I can't, I don't can't she's put amazing. my finger on it. Now I, I have to admit, when I picked up this album before I even heard it, and I'm just looking through the thing, the 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 liner notes, and I saw your name. I I was like, well, what's this going to be like? Because she doesn't seem like a person, in my opinion, that was going to write with a Kelly and a Steinberg. She wasn't. It just didn't seem. How did how did you get together with Chrissy Hind then? Um. It is amazing that that happened at all to me because she doesn't seem like the type of person that would write with pop songwriters. No, I, I would think, and this is no, this, this is, I'm just, I'm just, as an outsider, I'm thinking she might not have even liked some of the songs that sure. you might have written. We're right. I think uh, she liked uh, Like a Virgin. I doubt it. I happen to know that she loves Like a Virgin. Oh, okay, now. good. I don't, she probably didn't at the time. Okay. But I'll tell you, if I, I don't know how much time I've got. We have time. But, um, Billy and I were getting to be pretty seasoned writers, and we'd had several hit records. We'd had five number ones, and, and I had a big 24-track studio in my house, and he'd come over Monday through Friday, and we you know, kept doing what we were doing. Money was tight, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's that they sold a lot of records. <laughs> um, but um, we had a guy, and over the years we had a few guys uh, that would just we would have a little contract with. If you can place a song... If, you know, like a, somebody to run our songs and not a big publishing company, but just a guy. Okay. Dale Sh- Kawashima was, was our guy for a while. He's been big in the publishing business and, um, guy named Jason Dowman. We met him and he gave us a pitch. We had a meeting with him. He says, I really think I can plug some of your songs with some bigger artists and so on. Well, I'm mean, fine. If you can do it, yeah, we'll, we'll, have give, at it. we'll give you a little piece of it. If you don't do it, then you don't get anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he said, I want to work for you guys. I'm going to do something. So he approached Cindy, I'm not Cindy, uh, Chrissy. Chrissy's manager in London. And I think I Drove All Night had just been out over there. So that was a pretty cool song. I mean, to someone like uh, Chrissy. Yeah, the Roy Orbison. It, it wasn't pop squeaky like Eternal right. Flame or, or a Madonna song. So I think that her ma- Chrissy hadn't had a hit, rock, hit song in a while as the pretenders. And so they were kind of figuring out what are we going to do? We, she couldn't write a hit. Yeah. And so I think it, we just caught her at the right time. And I think the manager liked our track record and we were hot at the time. So she sold it to Chrissy and she said, these guys that wrote, I drove all night in eternal flame, which were both huge hits in, in England where she lived. So lo and behold, we got a phone call. Chrissy wants to write with you. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's going to fly to L.A. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. And you know, she's going to come over to your house. She even came songs. to you. He, yeah, she, she, I would have thought she would have said, have them come to me. <laughs> <laughs> so Chrissy came to L.A. Uh, she showed up at my house and was just funny and always clowning and, and sarcastic. I mean, she's just such a cool lady. I mean, I can't tell you. And so, so creative and artistic. And she loved what we did. And... um in fact, uh, in, when we were inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2014, 
uh, we were told, we were told we 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 got the thing we were going to be in, inducted, and they said we we're going to feature two of your songs live at this at the concert at the at the induction. We want you to perform one as songwriters, and we want an artist to perform the other one. Nice. And you know, everybody first thought Madonna. Well, Madonna wasn't going to do that. <laughs> She's just not going to do it. And then Cindy, Cindy would have done it, but I think Cindy was overseas and committed to something. And I remember the, the, somebody suggested, well, let's get Melitha, Melissa Ed, Etheridge. Etheridge. I'm, I'm lisping. That's okay. <laughs> let's get her to do True Colors. And Billy and I went, nah, that's not why? what we want. Yeah, know. why? And I said, why don't we get Chrissy Hine to come over and, and do a, um, I'll Stand By You. Perfect. And so I just sat down. And we keep in touch. We still do. And, uh, and I just, I wrote her an email. Da da da. She wrote back right away. Well, let me think about this. I'm not. I'm not saying no. She said this could be really be cool. I didn't think she'd do it. Yeah. I mean, she's across the sea. Yep. And it would take a huge effort for her to, to get on a plane and fly across the pond and stay in New York just to do this one thing. Right. But she, uh, I she sat on it for a couple of days and and wrote me back. She said, "I'll do it." That's great. So, I mean, wow. Well, I mean, what a friend. And, and I think she appreciates the input that we gave her at that point in her career. And this is for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No. The Songwriters, songwriters Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. Did I say Rock and Roll? No, you did not. Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's I'm my not, mistake. I'm not that cool. But uh, Songwriters but, Hall of Fame is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And it was a great honor. And and she was wonderful. She came there and 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 uh, and just, you know, treated us like gold and, and sang the song great and gave a speech and, and really made us feel like a million bucks. Well, you guys have co five co-writes on this, on this album. That one album, the yeah. Independence. I'm going to play, uh, we're going to hear 977, which is a song that you play bass and piano on also. Right. And this is such a cool tune. <laughs> when I see the way you have to struggle just to do a little simple thing I feel apologetic just because I'm not particularly suffering So I let you say Seven seven is that a room number? Is that what that's supposed to mean? You know, I don't remember. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know what. But it was very John Lennon influenced. Yeah, it was. And um, and you know, she had this idea, and and you cut it off right before she says oh. he hit me in the face. Yeah, I mean, it's about abuse. Yes, and and, and kind of a, it was kind of controversial. Mm -hmm. is she is she gonna just keep loving him when she's getting beat up? But it's it's that cutting edge Chrissy Hind. There's way some of very thinking. dark underlying stuff in in, oh, yeah. in these songs. I know. In, in Night in My Veins and I'll Stand by You and this. Yeah, I mean that's just she's so good at that. It you know showing that dark side, but like having some positive meaning to it. Yeah, which is a real gift to do that. And good ba good bass playing on that song. Oh, thank you. How did how do you get hooked up to to play bass on the uh, on on the song? Does she just say, Tom, you want to play bass on this? Or are you just hanging out? And I played bass on that? That's what it says here. It says, I played bass Kelly. on what, what, what wasn't that? Which album was that on? That's Last of the Independents. It says you played bass on 977. The next album she did, which was, I can't remember what it's called. 
Um, I play v, uh, Viva El Amor. I play bass on that whole record. She flew me over to London. I stayed in London for six weeks and did all the basic tracks with them there. I, she just kind of felt I was a good luck charm or something. But I, well, she must have thought you were a good bass player too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was at times. Yeah, but uh, yeah, she was just trying to recapture the vibe that we had on our demo and stuff. So mm-hmm. well, let's hear a little. We have to hear a little of uh, "I'll Stand by You." It's sure. Just, my, um, at, uh, at my kid's grade school every year, the kids, uh, the kids sing this song and it makes my wife cry because <laughs> it's just like, she'll just go, Oh no. Oh no. They're not going <laughs> to sing this again. And okay, they are. She cries by, cause she likes it. <laughs> not because she doesn't like Why it. Why you look so sad. The tears are in your eyes. Come on and come to me. to cry Let me see you through Cause I've seen the dark side too Is that you on playing piano on this song? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to make me cry. <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you, this, uh, the record buying public missed the boat. This should have been a number one song. Well, you know what, though? I mean, this is the one I would say, how is that not a number one yeah, song? Yeah, I think it peaked in 19 or 18 or something yeah. like that. I know it, it was a mind blower to me, too. But uh, in the end, we've, this song has, has been recorded more and played on American Idol and the voice and uh, this song has got the longest life shelf life I think or yeah. in terms of staying current people probably think it was a number one song because they, they probably how much, do uh, yeah. accolades it's gotten after the fact it, it's it probably gets played more than any song that we've we've written in terms of its staying power yeah. and, and it's got that philanthropic message to it so it, it's always being picked up for some some organization for and don't take this the wrong way it doesn't it doesn't sound dated it doesn't sound of a specific era or time right it sound, it's timeless well thank you it's a timeless song. i'm real proud of that song and i love uh you know the lyrical effort that that chrissy and billy put together just blow me away every time i hear it and i just wrote a pretty some pretty stuff to it and bang it happened well then the next album too uh viva el amor you guys wrote great songs on this album too and i want to play uh we're going to play a little bit of uh uh, from the heart down. Oh, I love that song. Such too. a good song. Yeah, thank you. Watch each other even when you sleep. There's some small protection. It's a promise we keep. Love is hard to define. It runs in circles round the mind. In a circle, in a circle, if it's not complete. Let's 
And then we're going to, uh, unless you were going to say something, were you going to say something? I got goosebumps again. Well, that's good. <laughs> like when you can, when you, uh, when you can make yourself the person who wrote it get I goosebumps. Know. I love myself. Well, that's what's funny. Sometimes if I, if there's an episode of this podcast that I have to do editing on, if I have to do, and I'm listening to it, sometimes I'll say something that'll make myself laugh. And I feel that's it's weird <laughs> that I made myself laugh. You know, I don't sit around and listen to these songs. So you're really pulling my whole past uh, out here. Well, like, that's what everyone that, every guest that comes yeah. on when we're playing songs, they wrote. Cause I don't think like, about oh, this. Uh, you know, I just live my life and you know, I get kids <laughs> right, and yeah, yeah. pay the rent and stuff. So it's kind of fun going down memory lane here, but it's really, uh, it, it's it's emotional to hear some of these songs and the collaborations with with Chrissy were always so special. I mean, she's it, I don't want to put anybody else down, but I I will say that in terms of working with artists, I mean, it has to be the best experience for us. Well, and that's why I'm playing. I mean, I I had like nine songs queued up for from Pretenders. You guys working <laughs> with Chrissy? I'm gonna play one more because. Okay. Uh, the last album uh, you worked on her with was uh, Loose Screw from 2002. This, uh, the record label, I think, went out of business then soon after it was released. And this is hard to find album, but it's a great album. And this is a song called Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. Oh, I love it. It's terrific. Yeah. I want you more than before so I can see Face is just a disguise. Oh, baby, when love dies, nothing breaks like a Even in a, even in 2008, when she released "Break Up the Concrete," uh, she did a new version of this. It was a Best Buy only bonus track. She did like a a new revamped version. Have you ever heard that? Of nothing breaks like a yeah. heart. No. Oh, here, let me let me get. I, Where have I been? <laughs> you know more about me than I know. <laughs> Thanks to Tony Diamond, I got to tell you. <laughs> All right, let me find this. Hold on. It'll take one second. I, uh, my iTunes is very meticulously uh, organized. Oh, I'm excited to hear it. Like a weirdo. What if I can't find it? What if it's not here? I'll cry. No, there it is. Yeah. Okay. You don't love me anymore. I can feel it. Country. Yeah. But I want you more than before, so I can't see it. Walk on, walk on, baby. Face is just a disguise. Oh, baby, when love dies, nothing breaks like a heart. Nothing breaks like a heart. Glass shadows, even cars fall apart. Nothing breaks like a heart. It's great. Now, if you've never heard this before, Tom, she might owe you a check. <laughs> I don't know if you want to call and ask for that, but... Uh, no, that's great. It's, I mean, it's, it's a good song because it comes off any way you play it. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a definition of a good song. A good test if, yeah. if, if, you gotta, if you've done your, your job. <laughs> uh, well, Tom, look, this was great. Thank you so much for coming and 
giving us some backstory on all these amazing songs you wrote. Again, anyone listening to this, there's no way they're going to go, I never heard any of those. Well, maybe a couple, <laughs> maybe a couple. Well, the, well, the couple that they never heard, they're going to go to iTunes and buy those because they're going to be like, that's an, an amazing song I've never heard. Oh, thank so. you so much, Pat. You know, I'm impressed with how you've, the songs you dug up because I've either forgotten about them or you're picking my old favorite songs that nobody knew about. Well, these are songs that I, I just, I love these songs. And again, I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say, when I would pick up an album and I would see that Kelly Steinberg wrote or co-wrote songs on it, I knew, oh, this is going to be something good. And sometimes those might be the only songs I liked on some of the albums. But, well, but you're very uh, kind, very kind, Pat. Are you, uh, are you, do you have a social media presence? Are you on Twitter? No. No Twitter? Mm-mm, I'm kind of a humbug. No website. Social media. No, I, I don't like to be found. Or... All right. Well, I'll, I'll email you links to this and then sure. I, I don't know what you'll do with them. Oh, I, I want to hear it when, I, when you do it, so please do. But uh, I'll spread the word. This was fantastic. I'll do a little promotion for our show um, on Twitter. We're at Rock Solid Show. I'm at Pat underscore Francis. Verified. Kyle, you're at Kyle Dotson Funny. Yep. Um, this will uh, this will come out this uh, this coming Thursday. Fantastic. And uh, are, are you and uh, Billy still friends? Still, oh yeah. Do you guys oh. write together still? We haven't written in a long time. I, I just you know writing takes a lot of energy and mm-hmm. focus and I. I he does still a bit, yeah, and he did quite a bit when we first uh, quit working together. Uh, not that we've quit working together forever. It's just that I seem to enjoy doing other things. Golf. I like to golf and pay, you know, spend a lot of time with my family. And I just think that most writers kind of have a window of time when they're mm-hmm. really, really hot. And I'd rather not. I'd rather like quit while I'm ahead, kind of a thing. Well, you have an amazing. <laughs> you have an amazing catalog of songs and. Uh, so happy you were here. Love your music. Big Thanks. fan. Uh, everyone keep listening to the show. And um, we're going to play out with this new version of True Colors by Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake. And again, thank you, Tom. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Tom. I really Diamond. enjoyed it. Also, Tom was nice enough to sign five CDs for us. These are CDs uh, on which uh, Tom has written songs from artists such as uh, Madonna and Ario Speedwagon, Alice Cooper, and Cindy Lauper. So uh, watch your Twitter feed on Friday around noon uh, for a chance to win one of these uh, autograph CDs by Tom Kelly. Uh, so again, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Kyle. You with the sad eyes Don't be discouraged Oh, I realize to take courage in a world full of people you can lose sight of it all the darkness inside you can make you feel so small show me a smile then don't be unhappy This world makes you crazy And you've taken all you can bear Just call me up Cause I will always be there And I see your true Let them